0: Bokotov, Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our Aliyah day. It is a beautiful day in the neighborhood. I am glad you are here. Uh, to all of you who are watching and listening from across the fruited plain, bless you. Uh, thank you. Welcome to all of our brand new... Uh, Uh, subscribers, actually, I'm sorry, I lost the word for a second. Uh, Brand new subscribers and all of our precious people who are joining us, maybe for the first time, uh, welcome, glad you're here. If you are here and you're not a subscriber to our channel, then please subscribe and be sure and uh, hit the little bell. Make sure that you uh, stay up to date with all of the Aliyah days that we do. And all the videos that are forthcoming, we're waiting till after the uh, the three weeks, after Tisha B'Av. We're going to be working on some brand new material, brand new videos, brand new teachings, and a lot of other fun stuff that we're going to be doing uh, and, and really working on this channel. Of course, uh, it's going to be great. And so we want you to be a part of it. And if you like the video today, please like it. And as always, share it. Somebody out there one day is going to thank you for sharing this uh, with them. It's going to be a great blessing uh, to uh, have that, uh, have to be able to have that. So, Brukashem. All right, we are studying today the Parashah uh, Devarim. This is the fifth day of the week, the fifth Aliyah of the week. And so we're going to be on page 949. As we study this uh, Aliyah of your art school Chumash. We've got to make sure we say the Chumash out there. Let me find a place for this. There we go. And uh, verse uh, chapter 2, verse 40. No, excuse me. Chapter 2, verse 2. My, my, my apologies. Is where we're going to begin. So let's read this Aliyah and then we'll get right into our uh, discussion. It says, in verse 2, Adonai said to me, saying, Enough of your circling this mountain. Turn yourselves northward. You shall command the people, saying, You are passing through the boundary of your brother, the children of Esau, who dwell in Seir. They will fear you, but you should be very careful. You should not provoke them, for I I shall not give you their land, even the right to set foot, for as an inheritance to Esau have I given Mount Seir. You shall purchase food from, from them for money, so that you may eat. Also water shall you buy from them for money, so that you may drink. For Adonai, your God, has blessed you in all your handiwork. He knew your way is in this great wilderness, this 40-year period. Adonai, your God, was with you. You did not lack a thing. So we, pra- so we passed rather from our brothers, the children of Esau who dwell in Seir, from the way of the Arba, from Elath. And from Izon Geber and we turned and passed on the way of the Moabite desert it says Adonai said to me you shall not distress Moab and you shall not provoke war with them for I shall not give you an inheritance from their land for the children of Lot have I given our as, a, as an inheritance the Emim dwelled there previously a great and populous people and tall as the giants, they too were considered Rephaim like the di- giants, and the Moabites called them Imim. And in Seir, the Horites dwelled previously, and the children of Esau drove them away and destroyed them from before themselves and dwelled in their place, as Israel did to the land of its inheritance, which Aronai gave them. Now rise up, get yourselves across the zared brook. So we crossed zared brook. The days that we traveled from Kedesh Barna until we crossed Zared Brook were 38 years until the end of the entire generation, the men of war, from the midst of the camp, as Adonai swore to them. It says here in verse 15, Even the hand of Adonai was on them to confound them from the midst of the camp until their end. So it was that the men of war finished dying from amidst the people. Verse 17 I spoke to me, saying, This day you shall cross the border of Moab at Ar, and you shall approach opposite the children of, of Ammon. You shall not distress them, and you shall not provoke them, for I shall not give any of the land of the children of Ammon to you as an inheritance. For to the children of Lot have I given it as an inheritance. It too is considered the land of Rephaim. The Rephaim dwelled in it previously, and the Ammonites called them zam a great and populous people, and they were tall as giants. And Adonai destroyed them from before them, and they drove them out and dwelled in their place. Just as he did for the children of Esau who dwell in Seir, who destroyed the Horite before them, they drove them out and dwelled in their place unto this day. As for the Avim who dwelled in the open cities until Gaza, the Kaftorim who went out of Kaftor destroyed them and dwelled in their place. Verse 24, rise up and cross Arnon Brook, see into your hands have I delivered Sihon King Heshbon, the Amorite and his land, begin to drive him out and provoke war with him. This day I shall begin to place dread of you on the prophets, or the people rather, under the entire heaven when they hear your reputation and they will tremble and will be anxious before you. Verse 26. I sent messages from the wilderness of Kedemoth to Simon King Heshbon, words of peace, saying, Let me pass through your land. Only on the road shall I go. I will not stray right or left. You will sell food to me for money, and I shall eat, and you will give me water for money, and I shall drink. Only let me pass through on foot, as the children of Esau who dwell in Seir did for me, and the Moabites who dwell in Ar, until I cross the Jordan to the land that Arnai, our God, gives us. Verse 30, the final verse of the reading. But Sihon, king of Heshbon, was not willing to let us pass through it, for Adonai, your God, hardened his spirit and made his heart stubborn in order to give him into your hands like this very day. Baruch Hashem. All right, that's the reading. We're going to get right into our insights. I see that for some reason the live chat is not working on our uh, live stream here. I don't know what's going on so I apologize for that it just says it's not available so for those of you who like to chat and I like for you to chat and all about that then uh, I'm, I apologize so I'm not sure what's happening but maybe it's just a little glitch in the system so anyway let me get right to our insights here a couple of things that we hadn't I haven't been able to share yet as of yet from the good so it says um, there's a, a a insight, a sparks of chesudis. Gotta make sure we got the height there, Chesudis. Uh, from chapter one and the Guten Chumash of the Book of the Just uh, just a quick insight here. It says, Why did Moses bother the Jewish people to listen to the Torah being translated in all seventy languages? when surely most of the people were not familiar with the majority of these languages. So he's communicating the Torah in all 70 languages. Why? Because God, when God gave, the sages teach, by the way, when God gave the Torah from Mount Sinai, he spoke the Torah in all 70 languages. So it says Moses did this not for the people's sake, but for the Torah's sake. For Moses' translation broke the barrier between Adonai and all other languages, ensuring that the holiness of the Torah remains even when it's translated into another language. Another couple of thoughts about that particular issue. We learned in Acts chapter 2 the story of the people who were gathered gathered in the upper room and the Ruach HaKodesh fell. When did it fall? It fell on Shavuot tongues of fire danced around their heads and there was a mighty wind and so on. And then all the people who were gathered there uh, to come up to the temple for Shavuot heard them praying and prophesying God in their own language. Why? Because there were Jews there and converts to Judaism, thousands of them, perhaps even tens of thousands, who were from all over the, the the world and so they uh contrary to popular belief when Jews were in their when they were in uh their foreign lands they spoke the language of the land. Uh, Hebrew was not their first language. Just like it is in in the United States uh today in los estados unidos. People speak Hebrew, but it's not our first language. And so um you know we speak English or español or in some cases French, But in any case, um, why did God ultimately give the Torah in all seventy 71 languages? And why did Moses communicate it here? Well, one of the reasons could be that there was a mixed multitude who were also Jews at this time. They converted to Judaism, and they came from every tribe and tongue because Egypt was, at the time, the great empire and attracted people from all over the world. But there's a deeper meaning, aside from what's written here, so that the Torah remains holy in all languages. That's true. As if the Torah is in English, it's holy. If it's in French, it's holy. Russian, it's holy. But there's a deeper spiritual reason as to why God gave the Torah in all the seventy languages and why the people who were in Jerusalem there in Acts 2, which, by the way, were all Jews and all converts, heard the Torah in their own language and believed. The answer is that ultimately God's desire is that the Torah would be observed by all of the people, all of the people, that ultimately every man, every woman, from every tongue and tribe would ultimately become Jews, they would ultimately convert, they would ultimately receive the Torah. This is what it means when it talks about... um, Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. That is is not a new thought in the Brit HaDashah, in the New Testament. That comes from the Tanakh. Every tribe and every tongue will believe and confess Hashem. Another insight, uh, again, just trying to touch on some things that got left. It says... uh, we talked about the love of God yesterday. It says, even when the Jewish people lost faith in God to the extent that they felt God hated them. Remember, we talked about yesterday that when we hate what we, what the, well, excuse me, the Isra- Israelites were saying God hated us, which is why he's doing this to us. But in fact, that was a pro- projection of their own heart and how they felt about God. They had projected that onto God they in fact hated god and so they assumed that because i hate god he must hate me we talked about a similar situation um a psychological situation uh not just yesterday but also in the previous aliyah the pre, or excuse me the previous parasha that when people say well you're just a phony you're just a fake you don't really believe that when they had that sin cyn- that that uh cynicism very often it's a reflection of the fact that they're not sincere, that they don't really believe. Because if you really think about it, just to touch on that for one quick second, if you really believe something and you really f- f- fathom it with your own heart, let's just take religion, for example, uh, Jewish religion. If you're an observant Jew, as we are, and you really uh i mean obviously you're sincere about it right you, you, this is this is who you are in public i know it's, this is true for me but this is who you are in public and it's who you are in private you daven when nobody's looking and you daven when people are looking you 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 wrap the feeling when nobody's looking and you wrap the feeling when people are looking all that kind of stuff right you eat kosher all the time no matter if you're by yourself in a faraway place traveling or if you're here locally And so when you have that attitude and that's who you are for real, it shocks you when somebody is not sincere. You can't, you don't, you don't relate to it, but when you're not sincere, when you're just a faker, then you run around pretending or calling other people fakers because you're really the faker. That's the, that's the psychology. That's what's going on here. So anyway, it says that even when we hated him, though, he loved us. That's what, Raj, That's why I wanted to share this insight because it's just a reminder of God's love. Again, nothing real profound here, but it's always worth remembering. This teaches us, however, that, lo, uh, excuse me, this teaches us that however low a person falls spiritually, he should know that God continues to love him. In fact, the very awareness that God still loves the person despite his lowly state provides the person with the inspiration to return to God so he can begin to reciprocate the love which has always been extended to him. As we approach the 40 days of Teshuva, which is coming, out, uh, coming upon us very, very fast, we want to remember this reality that God loves us again. Not a profound thought, but but one that we often forget, especially when when we, like Kaifa, have a strong desire to serve God with sincerity and zeal, and we have all these plans and we have all these these um, this mind to do it, and then we fail. And we think that life is over. But God should tell us that He loves us, He wants us to persevere. He wants us to do better. He looks forward to us doing better. And there's nothing more that God desires than a heart at Teshuva. And I also want to speak for just a second to the person who maybe and hopefully and prayerfully is tuning in for the very first time and for all intents and purposes knows nothing or knows very little. And maybe you're 18, or maybe you're 20, or maybe you're you're 30, or 40, or 50, or 70, or older. And you think, I'm just now learning this. I, I have so much to learn. I don't even know where to begin. I feel like I've uh you know you know sometimes people have thoughts where they they've wasted their life or they've wasted their time or their re- regrets and all that kind of stuff. And I just want to encourage you that. Hashem taught, or excuse me, Yeshua taught a parable about this. About the people that the, the master was hiring to come work in his vineyard. He went out in the early morning hours and he hired some people for a, 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 a certain wage, a denarius. Dinar, I think it was, if I remember correctly. And then he went out later in the afternoon and found some more. Later in the evening, he went and found some more. And he found some peoples. where well, there were just like one hour of the day left. And he said, how come, how come you're still sitting out here? No one's, uh, how come you're not working anywhere? And, and they said, well, no one has hired us. In other, ones, in other words, you know what that, what that means, my friends, when it says no one has hired us? It means no one's told us. No one has sought us out. And that, by the way, is the great shame of the Jewish people in this modern age, is that we're not seeking the nations. We're not going out into the highways and byways. We're we're too self-absorbed in our own communities. We're too concerned. Some of that, by the way, is jealousy, because... Um, we don't want people to be special like us. It's just a fact of the matter. and We've got to be careful. Jealousy is, is horrible. Everybody wants to push their own rock. But anyway, the, but the fact that nobody hired them is because nobody, they, no one had told them about it. No one's told them. And so anyway, the master hires them for the same wage, brings them in. But the beautiful part of the story is at the end of the day, he pays those who started, for, who started last. He pays them first who started last. They'd only been working for an hour, and everybody got the same wage. So if you're listening to me this morning, and this is your first time to the Aliyah Day, which I'm very excited for that, and maybe you don't know anything about Judaism, but this what you do know. You do know that you're you're searching for something more. You want something deeper than what you've been learning. You maybe you've been on the same topic at wherever you've been, the same topic of whatever. Yeah, it's all you ever hear is the same thing, and you want something more. You're 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 beyond milk and and you're beyond cotton candy, and you'd like to have something that actually sustains you. Or or you want the actual faith of the Messiah Yeshua, what he actually lived, how he actually lived. You want to live like that because that's how he lived. And so here you are, but you don't know anything and you're, you're concerned that, that you're, it's too late in the day. And the answer is, is no matter when you start to work in the vineyard, we all get the same wage. My wage, my friends, is the same wage as your wage. I could give a thousand droshes. I could give a thousand aliyah today. And at the end of the, at the end of time, you and I are going to be wearing the same uniform. Praise God. I don't deserve even that. So I'm happy. So it says, <clears throat> another insight here from the sparks of Chesidus. Chesidus. Our holy war. Jews fight a war. We're fighting a battle. <clears throat> but our war is not a war uh, against flesh and blood. It's, it, it is, to be sure, a holy war. But here's the battle. It says, For a Jew, interaction with the physical world involves sifting out the sparks of goodness hidden within physicality. This is also known as refinement. A Jew does not avoid pleasure in the world. A Jew does not avoid, um, you know, meat and drink and so on. We don't avoid these things. We actually tried to elevate them try to separate them uh, judaism is very much about making distinctions what is holy what is not holy not everything is holy so it says here we want to make this distinction without becoming enticed and drawn in by the physicality it says our daily interaction with the world is thus a form of war against the superficial profane appearance of the world in And an attempt to conquer it from the side of holiness so every day is a battle the battle is not just uh, you know very very often we talk about the spiritual battle and it has kind of a negative spin on it we're fighting against the evil inclination we're fighting against our desire we're fighting against whatever whatever but in this case it has very much a positive spin we are, my friends, in a war of holiness, a war to make to bring Tikkun to the world, a war to elevate. And I have said this many times, and it, uh, it's worth repeating, that very often we might perceive our participation in this spiritual war as not very significant. What can we do? And I admit, what can we do? What can I do? this uh, to try to to try to fathom that I personally have any significant influence in this big mess we call the world is uh, hard to imagine but I want to tell you that each and every one of us play a vital role and I just want to say that we have to understand this reality that something so simple as you going to the grocery store and shopping for kosher products something so simple as you choosing to eat only kosher the the something simple as as you waking up in the morning awakening in the morning and washing ceremonially ceremonially the the netilat yadayim Or ladies, you lighting the Sabbath candles on Friday night, 18 minutes before sundown, and saying the bracha, and lifting up a a, a prayer. Those simple acts are equivalent spiritually to launching artillery rounds into the enemy's camp. And the more people we have <clears throat> doing that very thing, the more holiness we're able to draw down to the world, and ultimately to draw down Mashiach. Because that's he's waiting for. That's what he's waiting for. He's waiting for the whole wide world to sing the song of Shabbos, as we said. And the drash on Shabbat. And what does it mean to sing the song of Shabbos? What is that? It's a euphemism really for everybody singing the song of the covenant in him. So that's what we're called to do. A couple more points that we uh, uh, left here. Whenever I, uh, very often when I'm praying on Shabbat, particularly and I'm talking about people who are giving and and, uh, so on, I quote from Devarim 111 Devarim 111 where it says may Adonai the God of your forefathers increase you or add to you a thousand times so it says in the uh, Rabbi monk commentary here and bless you as he spoke of you so he says Rashi explains that Moshe was making clear that the blessing of this verse add to you a thousand times was Moses own blessing and one is, was in addition to the blessing that Adonai had previously spoken in Genesis thirteen sixteen. Another explanation given by the Zohar is that this phrase was added to ensure that the evil eye had no power over Israel. So we have um, just an, an idea there that that blessing is not just about spiritual increase or, or physical increase, but it's also about removing us from uh, the evil eye. Now there is a statement here to our aliyah. Let me go back and uh, look at this for a second. In chapter two, there's this discussion about the uh, of the people of Moab and Ammon. Um, and there's we're, we're told not to fight against them, not to destroy them because because of the Uh, The fact that Ruth was going to come from Moab and um, we have that dove coming out of there. There's two precious women, actually, Ruth and and Nehemiah, not just Ruth, but Nehemiah would come out of Amnon. So God was protecting those uh, two nations because he saw that great converts were coming out of them, very important converts. But the the comment here from Rabbi Monk is, but should not the people of Midian be similarly spared for the sake of moses's wife zipporah and his father-in-law jethro and his children all descended from midian and all were righteous converts moreover moses himself lived and grew up in midian why then was he commanded to avenge the midianites so why weren't they spared because they too produced very important converts jethro's family went on to be some of the members of the great Sanhedrin. So it says, Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai answered that someone who has already gathered figs from the fig tree is not in the same situation as he who is planning to gather them later. The figs, quote unquote, of Midian had already been gathered in Moses' time. This is why Adonai could command him to avenge the Midianites. On the other hand, the figs of Moab and Ammon had not yet been gathered; hence, those nations had to be spared until the advent of David. So, couple of things on this: first and foremost, this goes on. To, this shows that the idea of grafting or collecting from a wild tree—that uh, whole agricultural imagery of gathering com, uh, converts is not anything new, particularly as it relates to the quote-unquote New Testament. So in other words, when the Apostle Paul uses this imagery, this agricultural uh, gathering imagery of grafting the wild olive tree onto the new olive tree, we just need to understand that that is 100% the Jewish mind. And more importantly than that, the fact that just Paul was using a very common Jewish analogy is one thing. But what is more important is that that analogy was always centered around the idea of conversion. Because it's quite impossible to graft a wild branch from another species of tree onto a cultivated tree and the fruit to be sucking up the sap from different roots, if you know what I mean. Here, it's talking about gathering the figs. And the figs refer to the nations who are being converted. And we see here that in the instance of Jethro and his family, when you bring in a convert, they have such high potential. My friends, we need to be gathering in the figs. We need to be gathering in the figs. That needs to be our mission. And I'm telling you something. The Mashiach is close at hand. The footsteps of the Mashiach are they're at the door. He's about to knock. And we need to be doing everything I, we can to gather in the holy sparks. This is why I encourage you to subscribe to this channel. This is why I encourage you to like these videos. This is why I encourage you to share them. It's not just about building up lapide. It's We're not trying to build an empire here to push our own rock. Truth be told, we could be quite comfortable with the hundreds of people that come here on a weekly basis. This is about gathering in figs. And there's many people out there in the marketplace today that when they're asked, how come you're not working the vineyard? They just shrug their shoulders and say, what vineyard? Nobody's hired us. Nobody's told us. And my friends, the telling the responsibility of telling, and sh- at least sharing, is on us. One last thing. Turn yourself no- northward. It says, when no progress is being made, when one is is just marking time, the divine advice is to turn northward. When, when no- Listen to this. When no progress is, is being made, the divine advice is to turn northward. Why? The word zaphon, north, can also be read zafun which means that which is hidden or stored away. It says, The advice then is to turn to that which is rich in reserves and which is partially hidden, that is, in mysticism, that is, the Torah. It keeps us from a sterile life of routine. It raises us above the mere existence. Torah is the hidden realm that is kept in store for us. Now, that's all beautiful, but I also want to relate this idea of Zaphon or Zaphon, that which is hidden, back to Genesis 41-45, where Pharaoh changes Yosef's name to Zaphonat-Paneach. Zaphonat, 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 the root of that is Zaphon, hidden, and some have translated this to mean... The one who relates hidden things, but the 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 word or the the name rather is zafanat. I'm sorry, I keep messing those, mixing those together. Zafanat paneak literally means the hidden face, that which is the concealed face, and the skull chumash points out that the Zohar says. That the name change given to Yosef was actually divine providence in order to conceal Yosef's identity from his brothers in, an, in order to bring about divine prophecy. One might wonder why is it that the name of the Messiah was changed from his actual name to this, this JC name? What was the purpose in that? And perhaps, my friends, the purpose was so that the nations, the figs, could be brought in. End of our Aliyah today. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been my distinct honor to be with you today. And with God's help, I will be with you tomorrow. And maybe our chat feature will be working. I have no idea why it's not working today, but hopefully everything else has been good. Blessings. Shalom. We'll see everybody tomorrow.